If you're going through hard times and looking for a way out, it's important to know that life isn't an Olympic figure skating event. There are no points for difficulty. You either stay stuck or escape. That's why you deserve to take the path of least resistance. Any voices telling you that's not allowed are not voices invested in your freedom. My name is John Oakes, and this is The Easy Way Out. This week, we're going to be talking about how I lost nearly 200 pounds, what I did right, what I could have done better, and what I did super, super wrong, if anything. I think this will get us into a discussion of the mechanics of weight loss and a little bit of weight loss strategy, but also answers some of the common questions I get about how I lost the weight. In some ways, it inspired the outlook or methods that I use to coach others in the sense of the successes and the things I did well. But I think that the things that I screwed up were just as important. (laughs) The things that were super hard for me and were basically pure suffering. Um, I learned a lot from that as well. And that has gone into my overall philosophy that I've developed over time. But before we get into that, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to be teaching a couple workshops coming up specifically on the topic of emotional eating and how to stop, how to let that go. It's a complex topic, but I think I have a way of approaching it that is going to help you not only understand why it's happening much better than you do already, or just add some nuances to the understanding that perhaps you already have, but also to give you a framework, a couple frameworks to use to make it simpler in the moment, in those hard moments, to know what to do, to know what not to do, to know how to navigate when the storms kick up. And hey, learn how to navigate before you get to the storm and go around the storm in the first place. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, so they say. If you're interested in taking part in my first workshop, which is going to be free for everybody, there's a post in the Facebook group. You can respond to that. You could just email me, john at oaksweightloss.com. I will probably send out an email, perhaps today, telling people about this free webinar workshop that I'll be doing. And you can probably just reply to that email. So this this will go live on Tuesday. So we'll make sure that that email hits your inbox early, early Tuesday morning or maybe the day before. Somebody told me never to email on Monday because everyone is so backlogged with their emails that came in over the weekend. but. Yeah, my emails are more important to you than all your other work BS, right? Oh, and also, if you would be so kind as to find this survey in the post that I made in the Facebook group about this free webinar that I'm going to give, click on the link to that survey, fill it out. It's going to help me tailor my approach, what, I, what I'm teaching exactly to your needs as you express them to me in that survey. So go find that. I'll probably include a link to that in the email as well. That's one of the easiest ways to sign up because when you do the survey, it asks you to put in your email. I am open currently for one-to-one coaching. If you're interested in that, you can email me at john at oaksweightloss.com. That's O-A-K-E-S weightloss.com. If you're looking for a lower cost option than coaching, you can get what I call coaching in a bottle for a fraction of one month of coaching. In the show notes below, either on YouTube or in the podcast, you can check out my course, The Beginner's Guide to Losing Weight the Easy Way. This is designed to help you 
reshape your approach to weight loss from the ground up. And so even if you're a grizzled veteran of weight loss and you've done this 20 times and gained it all back and you really don't want to get burned again, this is a course for you. This is a way for you to approach this project with self-care and well-being as the first priority and how to develop a plan of action for your eating and your activity that will hopefully reflect your deeper passions and values rather than your fears or fitness dogma. We cut through all that BS and tell you exactly what you need to get into a sustainable and effective weight loss program. So even if you've been through this many, many times before, it might be time to put on that white belt, put on your beginner's cap. It's an opportunity to sort of let go of the past, to detach the desire to get healthier from everything that's been done in the past. And so much of my approach is designed to help you do that. So check that out. If you're a grizzled veteran or you are really just doing this for the first time and you want to get set up for success rather than failure, that's there for you. And you can find that in the links below. If you're not a member of the Facebook group, you want to get on over there, lose weight with John. If you search that, you're going to see three groups. People always ask me which one I am. I'm the one with more than 34 members and I've posted in the last two years. Okay. The other two are jokers who were trying to sell weight loss BS supplements. I didn't even know that there were two other groups named that until well after I made our group. It's the one with 3,500 people in it instead of 35. Or you can follow the links below. Lots of good stuff going on in the Facebook group. Always looking for ideas on how to make it more interactive. People are getting a little bit more in the swing of it. The Facebook group, when it's rocking and rolling, is super, super helpful for everyone. So post your successes, post your questions, post your updates. We have a meal thread. You can post your healthy meals if you're proud of it or just want to share. And lots of good people over there. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already or subscribe on YouTube or both. And please leave a review. This really helps people find the podcast. I would really appreciate it. And it costs you nothing. It just takes a few moments of your time. Five stars, kind words. Tell a friend, share it on social media. Okay, so let's get into the show. If you don't know, my name is John Oakes. I'm a weight loss coach. I specialize in helping severely overweight people lose as much weight as they can or want to. And as you can tell from the name of this podcast, I like to take the easy way out. I'm always looking for the path of least resistance. If that sounds crazy to you, stick around because it's amazing how much we like to get in our own way, how much we've been programmed and conditioned to always take the hardest possible way out of our most stuck situations or issues in life. One reason people feel more comfortable coming to me than other coaches, apart from my approach, is that I have gone through a massive weight loss myself. I've done other large-scale weight losses and gained it back, and then some. I've been through it all. been through the absolute ringer. I get it. I understand it. And that definitely informs my approach. figure it's maybe time to just take you through my own journey. There was a lot going on for me. Uh, with my mental health, life in general. Honestly, that is the more important story. But today, I'm really just going to focus on the the weight loss aspect. What was I doing? What, what strategies was I following? What phases did the weight loss fall into? And what did I learn? So I topped out at 
423 pounds, I believe. I was in a very dark place. I, like I said, severe mental health issues. And for context, I am six foot four. So I am a bigger guy, bigger frame, but still 420, that's a lot to lug around. In the fall of 2018, I started to get a handle on being able to move forward. You know, we all have our our mental blocks. You know, I, I kept telling myself that once I reached a certain level of success with some of my creative and business interests, then I would have the, the mental bandwidth to lose weight. And so I just put more and more pressure on <laughs> those other aspects of my life. And it clearly wasn't coming from the healthiest spot. So that was why I was continually putting it off because I, I mean, I really did have very limited bandwidth. It's amazing that I was able to be functional at all. So in the fall of 2018, I started losing. Uh, I dropped the first 30 pounds really just through trying to walk and get a little bit of control over my eating, you know, just eat a bit more mindfully, a bit thoughtfully. But then I, I hit this major wall in the 380s. Oh, and I should mention, I wasn't counting calories. I wasn't really tracking steps. I was just walking more than I did because I didn't really walk. I was just doing any intentional walking and just limiting what I was already eating. I wasn't going keto. I didn't do anything you know, special. It was just the same food I was eating and just ate a bit less. So then I hit this stall in the 380s and still have no idea what it was because I was trying really hard to get through it. And I've lost weight before, so I, I have some tricks on my sleeve, and it didn't seem like anything was working. And I do wonder if it was psychological, if it was something to do with my hormones or something. Um, I don't put too much stock in hormonal fluctuations as being a barrier to weight loss. And maybe it was something I was doing on a strategic or tactical level that I really wasn't in as much of a calorie deficit as I thought. So it could have been a lot of factors, but I do know that I, I cut out carbohydrates at that time. And I went on a medication called Paxil for my mental health. I was only on it for about three weeks and I was only on a full dose for about a week of that. I started having funky symptoms and they, they titrated me off of it. But in that week, I noticed my weight start to move. And so maybe the combination of lowering my carbohydrate intake with something, the medication kicked loose in my brain, maybe I was just in a bit of a stall and it just was total coincidence, but some factor in there, I'm still not sure why, kind of broke through the 380s, got me into the 370s. And then I started thinking, all right, I've lost weight in the past. What did I do in the past? What, what works and what would I like to do? So I started getting more, more serious about my food intake and being conscious of that. Because I wasn't calorie counting, I used a method that is fairly effective. I ate the same things every single day. And that way, if I wanted to reduce my calories, I would just take out one element of one of my meals. I would have, I wasn't sure, I'm not sure what I was doing right at the beginning, but I would usually have like eggs and beans for breakfast. I would take like a serving of beans and, or a serving and a half, I don't remember, and throw them in a pan, 
saute them in a little bit of soy sauce or garlic and garlic powder, and then crack a couple eggs into it. I might've started with three eggs, but as I got more and more serious into, into losing weight, I did go down to one serving of beans and two eggs. Um, and oftentimes I'd have that with some kimchi or sauerkraut, homemade usually, uh, or store-bought kimchi. And for my lunches, uh, I usually eat four times a day. That's always kind of been my pattern, especially when I'm on a, some sort of diet. My lunches were both the same thing. It was a, a salad of sorts. I would chop up cabbage and broccoli and maybe a bell pepper or two, put it in, in a big Tupperware. And then I would have some sort of lean meat, either uh, ground beef that I that I drained really well, so almost all the fat was out of it, or chicken breast, or potentially tuna if I was out of both of those things. So I would grab you know a couple handfuls of my veggie mix, raw, throw in cooked protein, a serving of beans, like kidney beans or black beans, and maybe a little bit of feta, and maybe a few almonds or something like that for a bit of crunch. Then I'd season that with salt. No, did I do salt? I don't, I think I was a bit shy of the salt at the time because I thought salt would, you know, screw up my weight loss, at least within my head, because I was very dependent on the scale going down regularly, um, psychologically. Now I understand, you know, that that's not as necessary. And I understand that salt probably would have made life a bit easier. So hopefully I'll remember to come back around to that. But I definitely used to restrict salt in order to manage weight fluctuations. And I think it made me hungrier and achier and generally perform worse because I was in a big body and I was starting to work out more and more. And I don't think I was replenishing my electrolytes the way I needed to. So if I don't get around to it, that's one thing I would have looked at looked after much better is making sure I was getting my electrolytes because I didn't really know at that time how deficient I was in many of my key electrolytes, sodium, especially potassium, and especially magnesium. Magnesium is something that I just have a hard time holding on to. I noticed when my mental health started to deteriorate, something about that shifted there too. I'm not really sure what the connection is, but I I believe there is uh, a connection between fibromyalgia, PTSD, the body aches and cramps. And I don't think that this is uh, completely unsupported scientifically. I think there is some link. Maybe it's not fully understood yet, but people with those conditions often are magnesium deficient. For me personally, I know I am. I, I have a hard time holding on to it, at least in the forms that keep my muscles from you know, cramping and spasming. And so, yeah, I, I dealt with chronic pain all through the journey. I still deal with it. So if I seem a little bit uh, lower energy today, that's probably why. So now we're into the spring of 2019. And I start losing at a pretty steady clip through the summer and on into the fall. Over the summer, I started experimenting with fasting, with going keto, different things like that. I didn't really notice much of a benefit with the keto. The fasting was fascinating. I really kind of fell in love with it. It caused me to develop a different relationship to my body, to food. It laid the groundwork for more significant 
longer term fasting after I reached my goal weight. And it really helped me find a level of peace that I hadn't ever found before. There's something meditative about fasting for me and many other people. I'll talk about that more maybe in, in other episodes, but I'm a big proponent of fasting, especially in its more moderate forms. Yes, it can be an effective way to limit your caloric intake during the day, but there are so many other benefits as well. But overall, I was starting to just get burned out as I got into the lower 300s, you know, at the end of that summer into September, uh, right into the first week of October. I had been on a very low fat diet, I realized. And uh, that's, that's about to play an important part in the story. So I would be on a very low fat diet through the week and then I would allow myself a cheat day. You know, I would try to try to diet pretty hard and then cut loose on whatever day my cheat day was. And there were no restrictions on the cheat day, but I knew I was going to be working out the next morning. So I didn't want to go too crazy and, you know, I didn't want to hurt myself. I wanted to actually enjoy my day. This often co- coincided with a family day, basically. So, you know, go out for breakfast or make a good breakfast at home and then maybe hit something for lunch, you know, go, go to the lake, get something out there on the way back home, whatever, cook a nice fatty steak. That's often what I was craving by the end of the week. And yeah, it was, it was a bit extreme, but overall that six days on one day off gave me sort of a psychological release valve it gave me a way of breaking up the the bigger process into week to week chunks where my job was just to just do that week. And every day within that week kind of had a different feel due to how I structured my, my workout regimen. And yeah, mentally it just, it worked for me. It was good enough and good enough is great. Is it what I recommend for clients? Not usually, but I'll later on, I'll get into my assessment of my program. Part of what I was getting burned out on, you know, as I entered the fall of 2019 and was getting close to 300 pounds was my workout routine. It was the same thing every single week. It was, you know, day one, three, and five were weight training days, resistance training days. I was going to the gym at that time. We hadn't started the pandemic yet. So I was going to yeah, a, a local YMCA that used to be a Gold's gym. And so there's this weird combination of like, you know, the elderly folks, you know, wearing their sunglasses, you know, like sitting on the machines, unmoving. And you're like, oh, did this dude just die? It's like, oh, no, he's just taking a real long break. And then you got these just monster meatheads who have been going to this gym since it was a Gold's gym. And, you know, some bodybuilders and just quite a quite a bouquet of humanity. It was a good good group, nice people all around. And around this time, one of the trainers there, you know, I was walking into the gym one morning and he was getting out of his car and he was like, Hey man, I noticed you lost a lot of weight. And I was like, yeah, thanks. And he asked how much, and he was really impressed. And the thing he said to me was, he's like, I've seen guys come in here and lose weight. He's like, but they always have like a gym buddy. He's like to see you come in here alone and just do it all by yourself. That's really what impressed him. So by that point, I had made a significant weight loss and some of the people in the gym were noticing and and complimenting me on that. 
But as far as my time in the gym, I was getting less and less satisfied with it. Not that my satisfaction was ever the key point, just making things doable and repeatable and effective. That's all I was after. So what I would do and how I'd structure my workouts is on these lifting days, day one was a chest day and I would do supersets, right? So I would start off, say, on the chest press, and then I'd run over to the chest fly machine, pec deck, and I would alternate those. So I'd go chest press, pec deck, usually for 12 reps, a weight that I could do fairly fairly easily for 12 reps, and then I'd do a set of abs, and I'd come back and repeat the process. So I'd end up doing three sets of both in supersets along with a set of abs in between, And then I would switch into the second half of the workout and I would do, let's say, an incline press combined with some other kind of press. And if if, like a machine was taken, I could always just go back and do more chest press. I would just do more sets of that. I really felt it was important to keep my tempo up. I was getting 12 sets of work in and each set I was shooting for 12 reps and just trying to use a weight that would allow me to get through all three sets fairly quickly. So I was using some lighter weights, um, maybe not light weights, but lighter. Was I gaining muscle? Yeah, I think I was from doing that. You know, you can gain muscle by just doing even the most boneheaded program. (laughs) As long as you're just kind of pushing yourself and trying to lift a little bit more weight. However, the, any gains in strength really, petered out as you know i was really grinding on the diet because i just wasn't eating enough to recover fully the way you would want to if you're really trying to gain muscle while you are losing fat which is possible and i teach people how to do that maybe another podcast episode out there in the future and then at the end i might knock out some triceps same thing basically for my back day do a a lat pull down cable row superset abs in between so lat pull down, cable row, abs, lat pull down, cable row, abs, lat pull down, cable row, abs. And then I'd go over to maybe the hammer strength row alternated with like a supinated grip pull down or these uh, dual handled pull down things um, where it kind of feels like you're doing a chin up, a chin up type movement, but you're pulling the handles down to your you know, face or your sternum. And then I'd knock out some biceps at the end of that workout. And then day five was a shoulder day. So I do some shoulder pressing, shoulder flies, you know, lateral raises, did a bit of reverse pec deck for the rear delts and then like chest press or shoulder press machine. And then at the end of that, I might do a bit of combined biceps and triceps. I would try to get through these workouts fairly quickly. The idea was to keep up a high pace, which is not normally how you train if you're really trying to build muscle. This was just something that I noticed worked. It helped me lose weight. Um, It did help me maintain muscle. I certainly didn't lose muscle while I was doing this program. And then combined with cardio on the other days of the week, this gave me a sufficient caloric expenditure to make progress. Cardio days, you know, I'd start out, I think I started out just trying to do 20 minutes on the bike, exercise bike, recumbent bike. So funny that I had an exercise bike, like a nice one that I bought, you know, a few years before. Well, I, at the time, I bought it in 2017, 2016, end of 2016. 
And so it had been sitting around for two or three years at that point. I'd even taken it across the country in a move and it was just sitting in the garage and I didn't want to bring it upstairs into the house. So I was just using, yeah, just a recumbent bike. Wasn't my favorite, but uh, that's what I had available to me. And I started off just doing 20 minutes and then over time I worked up to 30 minutes and I'd often do that in the form of intervals where I would do five minutes kind of at a slow and steady. And then I would kick that up. You know how exercise bikes have resistance settings. So let's say you're on a resistance setting of six, just kind of pedaling easy, warming up. Then at minute five, I would bump that up to nine and start pedaling as fast as I could, basically doing a sprint. And then, you know, I'd start out doing that for like 30 seconds, 35 45 seconds, and then eventually I worked closer to a minute um, or full minute and added in more and more of those sprints with, you know, a minute break afterward where you bump it back down to level six. And then at minute seven, boom, we sprint. So every two minutes you're sprinting and taking a break for a minute. And so you do that 10 times, that's 20 minutes, and then you throw on another five minute, you know, it's not really a cool down. It's just a more relaxed pace back down at six or seven to cruise for the end of the workout. And I would always try to beat my numbers from the time before. So I'd get a pretty good cardio workout in these sessions. And it was good. I did enjoy it most of the time. Not like craving it, but able to enough to where I was able to do it. And it got to be habitual and you know, even if I didn't feel like going down, it was just that it wasn't an option to not go. So I knew I was going to feel better after. And that was enough to keep uh, the wheels on, keep the train on the tracks. But as I was mentioning earlier, I was getting burned out on this whole setup, not because of the setup itself alone, but also because of my mentality toward things. I mean, I was very stressed out about my weight loss. I was always trying to figure out like the better way, like, is there a better way for me to do this? Am I, am I holding myself back? I was majorly overthinking it. I was spending way too much time on YouTube trying to learn about, you know, what's the next greatest thing and what any, what's the best thing I can do to lose weight. And those hours and hours and hours and hours of learning contributed already to a pretty good base of knowledge about uh, nutrition and exercise that you all benefit from today in one form or another. So even though I do focus a lot on mindset, I have put in the hours in the technical side of weight loss as well. And sadly, there really isn't a magic bullet. There really is no one best way. There's only a few biological rules, laws of physics at work. And other than that, it really comes down to strategy and aligning your strategy with your personality and your mobility and all that stuff. So I believe I did dip just below 300. I think I maybe hit 297 or 298 or something like that. And then I I got off my program and I was focused more on like I was going to start like lifting heavier and maybe try keto again. And I got a few days into that. I remember one day my family was out of the house and I started feeling this pain at the top of my stomach. And I, I felt pain like this many, many, many times. Uh, it's one of the more common 
chronic pains I get right at the top of my stomach. My stomach feels bloated um, and it just hurts like hell. So this started, it seemingly came out of nowhere. And I was like, dang, this is really intense. Um, but after a little while, you know, it went away. And then the next day it came back and it stayed a little bit longer. And I would just sort of breathe through the pain. Day three, four, five, six, you know, it's it's starting to be more and more constant. I'm assuming that it's some sort of like muscular spasm or whatever. I'm trying to kind of massage it. You know, I remember this thing hurting like crazy and I'm like walking around doing my walks. I remember seeing somebody had left a, a, a bunch of carts, like shopping carts. I live right, right near a Target. And I saw all these shopping carts on the street and I'm like, man, these animals, like you people need to put your carts back. So I'm like volunteer cart boy, you know, for the neighborhood. <laughs> and, and so I'm pushing these carts like hundreds of yards back to or toward the Target parking lot and walking back and not realizing that I am close to death. <laughs> and it's sad because this is how punishing my mental health had been to where I had an organ inside of me that was dead and rotting. I didn't just have a gallbladder stone or anything like that. This thing was done. I had probably been dealing with this for years and mistaking it for other stomach pains that I do have and still have today to have it right now. So I had gotten to be so good at managing my pain that I was experiencing a pain that some people say is the one of the worst pains you can feel, which is when your gallbladder goes out on you. Because it just, it hurts everywhere. You know, it's right there underneath your rib cage. It's right by your liver. Very sensitive. Like you see people get punched in the liver in boxing or MMA, and they just go down. They just fold up like a lawn chair. Like your whole body can just shut down because there's, there's just an insane amount of uh, pain receptors there. So yes, I uh, on day seven, I was you know, laying on the floor being like, I don't think I can massage this out. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And, uh, without going into too many gory details, um, it was pretty, pretty messed up. You know, I went to one hospital and they wouldn't even like treat me. It was, it was really weird. Then I went to the next hospital down. Luckily a friend's wife is a nurse. I guess she's a friend too. Uh, she was texting with my wife, kind of helping give ideas what to do. Thankfully, they got me into the next hospital down and they took me in. They had me on an ER slab real fast. They checked my blood pressure and it was something insane, like 250 over 180. Like the first day I had to check to see if I was having a heart attack, but the doc, ER doc came in and asked me what I was dealing with. And and I told him, I was like, I have severe PTSD. I get these weird pains. I, I, I don't know if that's what's happening. And he's like, no, man. He's like, it's your gallbladder. He could just tell from where the pain was. So it took him about three minutes to diagnose the problem where the other hospital uh, pretty much was willing to let me die on the lobby floor, which would have been sad considering that was the hospital I was born in. Come in on the ninth floor, go out in the lobby. There's <laughs> maybe a metaphor for life in there. So I had my gallbladder removed. The doctor later was like, dude, you're a tough guy. <laughs> like, I've never seen anybody walk around for a week with, with this bad of a gallbladder. 
you know, usually I think of doctors as thinking that we're all idiots. And so I expected them to just be like, you're, in, you're a moron. Who walks around with this? Like, you should have been in here day one. But he wasn't, he wasn't that way at all. He was just like, frankly, impressed. I just thought that was hilarious. So I recuperated through October. I don't, th- I think I just kind of hung out in the low 300s through November and December. And I think I kicked it back into gear in January, not as like a New Year's resolution thing. It just happened to be when I uh, felt ready to to attack it again and attack it. I did. January, February, I was rocking and rolling. I was down to about 284 when the pandemic started to crop up and stay-at-home orders were going in place and the gyms were shutting down. And so at that point, I was still following the same protocol as before because I I realized like I could dabble with keto and all this other stuff, but I just should stick with what's working. I didn't feel like I could afford to play around. I was definitely only alive because I had taken a very, you know, pragmatic and I'd been on quite the mental health journey during this time as well. So when things were shutting down, I was just getting better, like mentally to enough to where I could like go out in public more often. And even that was tough. A lot of the time start having panic attacks. Like one time I was walking into a target and when I start to have you know, panic attacks or stress really ramps up. My, my eyesight diminishes greatly. And so I'm walking into this target and I see this lady walking up on crutches and I said something like, I thought I was seeing a lady like where she had like a boot on and the, you know, how, when someone's wearing a boot, like if they broke their ankle, that foot is just behind them. And so this was like her left foot. I thought it was just behind her other leg. And I said something like cordial about like, oh, did you hurt yourself or something like that? And she just breezes on by me. I think she made a comment like something like, I've been this way for years or something like that. And she passes by me and I, I follow in behind her through the automatic doors and she is missing her leg like right below the hip. And I'm like, oh God, I think I just made fun of a, an amputee right to her face and I didn't even mean to. So yeah, that's where my mental health was at to the point where I was nearly blind when I was walking into Target. So the pandemic wasn't great timing for me personally because I was just starting to be able to go out and about more. So I'd been hearing about something called a gorilla bow. So I went and bought one of those right away. I got it before you know the shipping started really slowing down and any of the fulfillment issues became a problem. And basically, this is a, like a metal bow, like a bow and arrow. But instead of a bow string, it uses resistance bands. So it's kind of a way of using resistance bands with uh, a static bar that you could use for things like lat pull downs or, you know, kind of like a bench pressing type motion, chest press. Um, mainly, I used it for, sorry, I should preface this by saying as we rolled into the stay at home orders, and gyms were shutting down, I realized, okay, I'm not going to be able to ride the exercise bike anymore or lift weights at the gym. So I'm going to need to make a program that I can do at home. And so I transitioned into running because I was just getting down to a weight where I felt like my my body could handle that. Uh, Historically, 290, uh, I've been able to run 290 and below. 
So I started doing interval runs on my cardio days, and I started into a lifting program at home. At first, it started off as like a the same style of workout that I was doing at the gym, just with the equipment I had at home, doing lots of like push-up variations and getting creative with, you know, working my back and starting to do pull-ups with like a bunch of resistance bands to help me uh, just with this pull-up bar that, you know, stuck in a doorway, that kind of stuff. And I eventually transitioned that into a, like a two-day split where I would do like chest and front and middle deltoid. And then on my back day, I would hit rear delts as well, and biceps and all that. So, so I would just, I had like an A and a B workout and I would alternate those in those same intervals, you know, day one, three, and five, except instead of doing chest, back, shoulders, I was doing, you know, workout A, workout B, workout A, workout B, where you end up doing workout A twice in one week. And then the next week you're doing workout B twice. Still doing my cheat days, obviously not the same way because lots of stuff was shutting down, but still the same basic idea. So I think this went into effect in March and I think in May I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take 10 weeks and I'm not going to get on the scale. And at the end of this 10 weeks, I'm going to be real close to my goal weight of 240. I made it nine weeks before I weighed in. And it was a bit nerve wracking during that time. I don't know if it actually really helped me. Maybe it did. I was pushing hard in that time. I think it was 265 when I went into that. And I get on the scale at the end of nine weeks and I get on the scale and I'm 251. And I'm like, I lost 14 pounds in nine weeks. At the time, that was just, that was the slowest stretch I'd ever had. Except for that time when I was really stuck in the 380s. So I was pretty upset about that. I was really hoping to be in the in the low mid to low 240s. So I kept pushing another couple of weeks. I got to about 247 and then I think I I remember we went camping. This was in July. I weigh in, I bring my scale to the campground. <laughs> this is how hardcore. This is how mental I was. And I, so I do my end of week weigh in and then I, you know, had my cheat day there while camping. And after my cheat day, I decide the next morning, you know, just drinking coffee, kind of getting moving, packing up. I decide I'm not going to eat breakfast. And so then I get a little bit further into the day and I decide I'm not going to, not going to eat lunch. I'm going to see if I can push through till dinner. And I'd only ever done that once before to do, you know, 24 hours without eating. And then I ended up going the whole night without eating. And I think I, I don't remember what I did the next day, but I was like, I was super jazzed that I had gotten through an entire night without eating. And I was like, oh, I didn't die. You know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So after that, I decided, okay, I'm not going to do such an extreme diet during the week and then cheat days. Cause I thought, you know what, I'm just getting to a point where Maybe I'm not burning as many calories because of all the weight I've lost or something metabolically is just off. But this whole, the, the cheat day thing doesn't seem to be working for me anymore. Like, let's just get into the classic count your calories and just keep it at a certain level every day. So I picked a certain level. I think it was about 800 calories more than I was, well, maybe seven, 650 more than I was consuming on an average day. 
and I remember something silly. Like I just got really frustrated at the scale one, one day, like I gained a couple pounds for, I mean, for no reason. And I just got really mad and, and I decided, oh, screw it. And my brain was like, well, I'm going to do something hardcore then. You know, it wasn't the best motivation. I definitely try to teach you guys not to do this sort of thing. But I was so curious about fasting that I started to enter into a one day fast and it became a two day. And then I wanted to see if I could push to three. And sure enough, I did. And it was wild. It was really a very interesting experience. I had one meal and then I went into another three day fast. And then I had one meal again, and then I made it another two days. So that was a pretty, pretty wild stretch. And I think I actually, a couple days later, I went into another fast. So like in 14 days, I was fasting for like 11 of them or something like that. Of course, I lost a bunch of weight. I, I went well past 240 down into 220s. But after that, you know, leveled out in the 230s, you know, gained back a bit of water weight, leveled out in the 230s and was still just really focused on getting leaner and leaner, but knowing that I, it was time to put on muscle. Maybe the story of what I did from there on out to today is its own story because it was a different phase of learning. I definitely don't weigh 235 anymore. <laughs> It's partially because I was very successful at putting on muzzle and I've been successful at putting on some other stuff too. And I have been less in a hurry to get it off because I know, I know that the way I'm trending, it's, it's going to take care of itself and it's going to be easy and it's going to be more maintainable than the last season. I'm not like blown up like the Michelin man, just heavier than I want to be. So looking back, what are some of the things I would have changed? If I had it all to do over again, would I do the cheat days? Honestly, you know, I've gone back and forth. I've made some TikToks about how I, I would I would not do them. I think I would go back and really explain to myself that calories in, calories out is the mechanism. You really don't have to worry about anything else. It's it's quite simple. You know, the application it, it can be delicate and nuanced, but don't kid yourself into thinking that you have to eat the same things every day. Or I think maybe the plan would have been more flexible if I could have just kept a set number of calories every day and had a little bit more variety. However, I was eating very few calories. I was down to 1,700 calories for, for several weeks, especially toward the end there in 2019. Or no, 2020 was my sort of big second leg of the journey. I mean, obviously I wouldn't go back and change anything. I mean, it is what it is, but I think with my personality, the, the cheat day format, it worked. And I'm obviously not the kind of person where I'm going to go on a severe binge for my cheat day. I would often come in between 3,500 and 5,000 calories. So nothing too crazy. Oftentimes it was right around 4,000 or 4,500. And I thought that, you know, on those cheat days, you kind of get away with something like you're not going to absorb all those calories. Generally speaking, your body's going <laughs> to get those calories one way or another. But I was also the kind of person who could have a big cheat day and then roll out of bed the next morning and know that, hey, no matter how gross I feel, I'm going to feel much better after I work out. And so I do my workout, usually do, do my push workout or my pull workout. 
and yes, I guess I glossed over this. I wasn't training legs because my cardio sessions were so important to me. And it wasn't like I've had chicken legs. Like I was a big dude and I was running like I, I was doing fine in that department. So I didn't really specifically resistance train my legs outside of cardio. I started doing that after I got down to goal weight. So I don't know about what it should have could have, but what are some other options I could have done? I could have focused more on building muscle from the start. I maybe would have put myself on a different program, a program more like what I would prescribe for a client. Nowadays, I would have used that lifting uh, to burn a lot of calories because what I learned when I started lifting really hard as I transitioned out of this weight loss phase and more into a muscle building phase was that I burn a lot of calories from lifting weights, especially when I'm lifting weights consecutively day after day after day. For a lot of people, this afterburn effect isn't really a big feature. For me, I think it is. And I think it has something to do with the fact that genetically I'm pretty quick at recovery. So I think that recovery is a bit more of an intense process. Whereas for other people, their recovery is a little bit slower, more drawn out. But either way, I I found that working out day after day after day before I took a break, I burned a lot of calories. My maintenance calories were around 3,700 calories when I was really cranking. So knowing that, I probably could have had very similar results had I worked out like that and eaten 2,300 calories a day instead of 1,700. Would I be able to work out like that on 2,300 calories a day? I don't know. I don't know. So we get into an issue of like, well, at some point your your eating and your activity need to match and work well together. So whatever I was doing, it it made sense. Like I wasn't working out in such a way that I was really making a huge amount of progress, but I also wasn't working out in such a way that I was feeling super duper hungry because of it. You know, I noticed that one of the reasons I've gained weight over the last year and a half is that I get so much hunger after I train really, really hard, uh, especially day after day. And then I do a leg day and I, my, my body's just destroyed. It's like, feed me, give me more. It's like Oliver, the little orphan Oliver holding up his bowl. Please, sir, may I have some more? That's my body after leg day. And it's specifically asking for cereal. Cereal, man. Topic for another day. What foods can you moderate and what foods can you just maybe not? <laughs> For me, cereal, man, I I struggle with the cereal. Day one, I can moderate it. Day two, sure. Day three, eh. day four, it's just, it's getting pornographic. It's just not good. Same thing for, same thing for sweets. Like I, same thing. Like I can control it for, for a while, but then after I start getting more and more of it, eventually the switch just flips and all of a sudden I'm a monster. <laughs> I just want it all the time. But I do think there could have been some sort of hybrid program where I could have worked out enough to actually be building muscle and structuring my workouts a little bit differently, not so high tempo. I don't think I needed to always lift with such high tempo. I think that just by getting a good solid work and maybe doing a little bit higher tempo than like a a lot of weightlifters do, that would be fine considering I, I gain muscle fairly easily. So yeah, finding some balance where I could lose two or three pounds a week due to my size, which was a reasonable amount, and slowly be gaining muscle in that process and not 
having cheat days, but just sort of focusing more on enjoying uh, the foods I was having. Flexible dieting, if you're not familiar with that, kind of means that there's there's no real off-limit foods. For me, that doesn't work so well because a lot of foods just have a different impact on me. Like I said, I, I can't Eating an ice cream bar just isn't the same for me as eating an apple, even if the calories are the same. It takes me in a different direction. It puts me in a different headspace. Uh, certain foods are hyper palatable. And they take you up the hedonic ladder, hedonic staircase. And that's big fancy talk for you eat something really like insanely tasty and it makes it harder to get the same enjoyment out of fruit and vegetables and stuff like that. So I find that that there were lots of foods that offend my my healthy eating. And so I I do, you know, restrict certain foods and certain categories of foods. So I don't think being a flexible dieter would have worked for me. I think it would have been more stress than the, the plan I was on. Honestly, I could have taken my stress levels down more than just by you know, having a slightly different program where I wasn't eating as little. I really could have changed my mentality. I could have been a lot more chill. I also could have and definitely would have weighed myself every day like I was, but I would not be taking the individual data points as important. I would have gone back and absolutely gotten myself on a spreadsheet with some formulas in there to, to keep a seven-day running average of my weights and use that as my benchmark for success. Only measure that against the number from the week before to get a sense of how much I had lost. This is something that I teach clients to do today. I happily teach you how to do this. Uh, maybe I can make a video for my YouTube showing you how I track my weight and how clients do as well and how we use these sheets as sort of our dashboard to look at, you know, hey, how's your weight loss going? Okay, maybe what's going on like with calories, steps, blah, blah, blah. Very useful if you have an accountability buddy. So my, my mindset would have been, would be very different. No matter what methods I chose, my mindset would be very different. I would be more focused on well-being. I would be more focused on like, hey, getting the weight off isn't the end-all be-all. Yes, we want to get the weight off. But I thought that I had to fly through a keyhole to get the weight off. And Sure, weight loss is is tricky. It's notoriously tricky. Um, but the hardest thing about weight loss is keeping your mentality straight. I think everybody listening to this is on board with that, or at least you know close enough that they're like, yeah, yeah, I could see why you'd say that. Because there's so many plans that can work if you do them consistently. What's the best way to lose weight? It's like they say, it's a little bit trite, but whatever way you're going to stick with. <laughs> Because in the end, it does take quite a long time to lose a significant amount of weight. I did it in, if you're keeping track, I don't know, from like the fall of 2018 to the late summer of 2020. So a little under two years in sort of speedier phases with a long break in between them. Two main phases. I guess you could call it three phases if... You know, the first phase was that first 30, 40 pounds, then being stuck at, in the 380s for quite a long time. And then, yeah, the second phase would be 380 to about 300 and then 300 down into the 220s and then eventually settling out kind of in the 230s. 
I would definitely uh, supplement better. I would get myself on a good quality fish oil. Man, I really noticed when I was lifting weights really hard in the last year and a half that my recovery was so much better. I really felt better when I got a quality fish oil, like the actual liquid kind that you drink, like Carlson's. Um, That would have been very much worth the investment. I think it would have helped me round out some of my nutrition because I wasn't getting enough fat on my diet. I definitely would have gotten a little bit more fat and taking a fish oil would have been a great source of that because I'm not, I don't need a ton of fish and what I do eat comes in a can. I definitely would have supplemented more with my electrolytes. I would have taken care of my sodium and potassium and magnesium, and I wouldn't have worried about fluctuations based on sodium intake. Why? Because I knew it didn't matter, but I knew I was beholden to the scale. I would just take care of my body, give it what it needed to perform well and feel good. And I would have been a lot less miserable. And once you start doing that, it's, it's going to shake out on the scale in just a few days, like the, give it a week and, and you're going to be at a new normal. Yes. As your sodium levels fluctuate, so will your weight. But if you keep it relatively similar, then week to week, it's going to come out in the wash and your progress is going to ultimately be the exact same. So I would definitely do that differently. Here's one thing that I'll talk more about in the future, but that really helped me on my way down. I did not apply it the way that you can, the way that my clients do, but at least I had this outlook of using the minimum effective dose. What's the least amount of output I can give for the most gain? That is the strategic mindset you need to have for a long-term weight loss program. You don't want to be shoving all your chips to the middle of the table, going all in just to get those first 10 pounds off. You do not need to do that. You want to keep as many of your options as possible open and only utilize them as needed. You know, if you've been losing five pounds a week and then you have a week where you only lose 3.8 pounds, that's not the time to, to get upset, freak out and start making rash decisions. Take it from me. I I made plenty of those. Sometimes they work out in your favor, but in the long run, they they don't. That way of being reactive gets you into trouble. It gets you into a mode where you're ruining good things. That that thing where you're you're getting so mentally attached to, well, I I can lose five pounds in in a week. And so how many weeks divide the weight I want to lose by five? And okay, that's when I'll be there. And it's like, no, no, that is not how it works. This is not, you don't just divide by what you lost on your second week and think that that's going to give you the timetable. And now you've just set yourself a ridiculously rigid expectation. And the reality is fluctuations are going to happen. The The weight loss overall might look pretty smooth when you zoom out of the graph, but week to week, day to day, fluctuations are going to happen. Any other big takeaways I think part of my success came down to hunger management as well. That's a topic for an entire podcast in and of itself. So that was one thing that I did a very good job of was hunger management, both strategically and mentally. And that's something I have a lot to say about. Maybe we can talk about that in the future. Another benefit of the minimum effective dose is that I was never pushing myself too hard. I was always making sure that I was going to be able to come back and do whatever workout I needed to do the next day. And so I never got myself injured. I never got myself hurt. 
I would allow myself to push, but I, I was good about making sure that I didn't uh, wreck myself because I had the system prioritized over any one workout. I was never deluded into thinking that one workout was going to lose all the weight for me. And that's one really smart thing about having a set program like that. Yes, it's rigid. Yes, it does get old. However, it does kind of get you into a rhythm that can be very powerful, you know, habitual. It can actually take the work out of the weight loss regimen. I mean, a lot of people describe weight loss as being really exhausting because there's just so much meal prep, and this and that. I find that by eating the same things all the time, there was no decision. The, the grocery list was the same. I knew exactly what time of day I was going to eat. So if it's, you know, if I'm not going to have lunch, number one, until 1130 and it's 1030, it's like, well, we need to use some different skills at this point because we're not eating. And that makes it simpler in a way where instead of suffering and making yourself exhausted by trying to decide whether or not you should eat, you just suffer. <laughs> now, I don't want you to suffer. I, I don't want my clients to suffer. So we have, I have a different approach to that. But there was some good in what I was doing. At least I made this process as simple as I could for myself, given the tools and the mindset that I had at the time, which I feel like a completely different person now looking back. Obviously, there is the mindset evolution that I went through during this time, the mental health gains that I went through during this time. There's a huge other aspect to this story. But I hope this was insightful. I hope it gives you, you know, the inside baseball on exactly how I lost the weight, the methods I used, the drawbacks to those methods. I would say overall, the process was fairly punishing, especially later in the week. The, the hardest parts were the day after cheat day, you get really hungry again, but then, you know, you do your workout, you get through that first day and then day two, three, four are a breeze. And then day five, you start to get hungrier. And then day six, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so ready for cheat day because <laughs> you're just getting really drained. It was more extreme than anything I would put myself on uh, now. Now I'm very much into creating processes and structures that are more rigid in whatever way it makes life simpler for me, flexible in whatever way it keeps me more connected to my passions and what I want to do in the moment. For instance, I sat down to do this podcast. I had a, a thought in my head of what I ought to do. And I was like, Ugh, I just, I'm so tired. What, what feels right? What feels now? And this popped right in my head. I was like, oh, that feels good. I can do that. And so I probably did a much better job today podcasting because I was willing to be flexible in an area where it was warranted and for me and made things easier for me rather than harder. If we can apply that example to everything we're doing for our physical health, man, we can go so much further with so much less effort. I hope this was informative. I hope it was helpful. And obviously, I'm not recommending that anyone do what I did. I recommend that everybody pick something that fits your personality, your strengths, your weaknesses, your peccadilloes. Definitely, definitely, I think everybody should, if they're going to use the scale, use it every day and take a seven-day running average. Everyone should be looking after their nutrition, their vitamins and minerals, definitely more than their macros. Micros over macros every single time. 
Your macros really do not mat matter anywhere near as much as people make it out. Basically, you need to get minimums of protein and to some extent fat, and there is no minimum of carbohydrate that you need. It's very simple. Get your protein, get your fat, and then after that, your calories can be whatever, and your weight loss outcomes will be more or less the same. So if you'd like me to help you get on a weight loss program of your own, you can take my course, like I mentioned. We have one-on-one -on -one coaching where I'm there with you through the process, guiding you each step of the way. Take advantage of the Facebook group, the YouTube channel, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. I really hope that this helped you. Hope you got some value out of this. If you did, please leave a review and tell a friend, share this story. Oh, I forgot to be all inspiring and stuff like, cause I've just been very analytical assessing it uh, for its merits as a, as a program. Yeah, sure. Be inspired about this because I did this in a situation where I was in extremely rough shape. Remember the part where my gallbladder was rotting inside of me, but I didn't notice because I was used to being racked and riddled with pain and where I was having panic attacks all the way through and like sleeping like garbage and constantly having nightmares and then waking up and doing this stuff anyways. It's not to say that I had it harder than you or that if I did it, well, you can do anything. But certainly it indicates that we humans are far more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And I figure if you're listening to this podcast, that's a message that you really need to take, take on, take to heart, and let it challenge you. Be challenged by how amazing you are. Be challenged in attempting to accept more the reality of the good in your life and the opportunities all around you and the love that surrounds you. Just because you don't accept it doesn't mean it's not there. And in another podcast, I could logically break down all the ways in which we reject love, but we certainly do accept more, love yourself more, easier said than done. But whenever you're struggling, always look for the easy way out. And I will talk to you next time.